Jesus' brother, younger brother James once wrote, What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, and then it vanishes. I can't help but wonder what James was thinking about as he wrote that. I mean, it's so interesting. We have this tiny little book packed with wisdom that comes from Jesus' little brother. And in the middle of it all, he asks this question, what is life? It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. Imagine that he was thinking about his brother in those moments. You know, he had a lot to think about. He lived in a, a day and age where, where life expectancy wasn't quite so long. He lived in a culture where people were being persecuted and murdered for their faith and for their beliefs in, in whatever went against what uh, the rulers of the day would want. But I think that over and above all of that, or even in the midst of all of that, he probably couldn't help but think of his older brother. I mean, here was Jesus, the one who was foretold, the one you probably heard up, uh, heard growing all the time up as you went along, like, hey, he's come for a purpose. And he lived his life, and he foreshadowed his death time and time again, and then he went to the cross, and he died so brutally, only to rise again, to ascend to heaven and say, one day, I'll come back. It must have given him a lot of thought about life and death. How often do you think about death and dying? For some of us, probably more than the others. We have some of us who have worked in the death care industry, and so it comes to life. For some of us, we're uh, perhaps a little younger, and we don't think about it quite so much. And we have some who are a little older, who are maybe losing friends and loved ones, or maybe you're close uh, or at least you feel that way sometimes and wonder about this thing called death a little bit more often. For me, it's something that I think about quite often, actually. And, and I don't mean that in sort of a dark Gothic sense. Like, I don't spend time just, like, ruminating on death. Uh, but it has been something that has profoundly impacted my life for a long time. I remember the first time that I was really impacted by the topic of death was... Uh, the, the year between when I was uh, 15 and 16. Uh, I had a really tough uh, year that year because it was sort of the first time death became re really real. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side had uh, passed away in the fall. And uh, I remember prior to my mom going, there was this real sense of weight. Uh, we were relatively new within a number of years to faith. Uh, at least I was in sort of the seriousness of my faith. And, and uh, I remember my, my grandfather coming to faith. Uh, I wasn't there, but I heard uh, towards the end of his life on his deathbed. And, and that had me thinking. Then uh, later on in the year, I had this invitation to go hang out with a, a bunch of friends. And uh, they were going to go drive into the city and hang out and come on back. And then on their way home... Uh, they were driving some of the backcountry roads in Alberta, and they were involved in a, a head-on accident which killed everyone in the opposing car and all but one in my friend's car. I remember sitting there just mourning that and, and, and being left with actually a sense of sort of survivor's guilt 
Uh, why didn't I go? Why wasn't I involved? All those kind of things. A couple months later, a few classmates were driving uh, through the mountains, and there was a slide that wiped out a whole carload of my classmates, including one very good friend. And so that year sort of set me on this path of, of, of sorrow, of asking questions, of wondering. And then since then, uh, I've had uh, sometimes the great privilege and sometimes the great sorrow of walking along a lot of folks who, who have died. I've witnessed uh, horrible motorcycle accidents that have left people in pieces. I worked as a, a, and trained as a paramedic, and I was bedside as we lost patients or out in the field where we weren't able to help carry someone home. And, and, and that had me thinking a lot. Of course, as a pastor, I've, uh, I would count it a privilege. To, I've got to walk alongside a, a lot of folks who are in their last days or their last months and, and been in times of both sorrow and joy as we've got to do that. And all these things have led me to asking a, a, a whole lot of questions over the years. What's the point of death and sorrow? What, is, what, it, what does it mean to live with this? What does it mean to have a, a sort of fixation on a point in time which we will all arrive to? And I think it's important in light of that, in light of death, for every one of us to consider this. Whether we think about it a lot or it's something that maybe comes and goes with long gaps in between, uh, this is an important thing for us to ruminate on, especially as we're in this relationship and we're coming to a close on this relationship series, right? We're, all of our relationships to one degree or another end in death. Whether we're long and estranged from someone or that's how relationship closest to us ends, all of our life ends with this sort of sorrow around the loss of someone else. And it's going to affect every one of us. There's only one thing that impacts one out of one of us, and that's birth and death and the life lived in between. As it said in Ecclesiastes, the author wrote, there's a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And so in our message today, I want us to, to view what death really is. Not for some sort of grief and weight, but so that we can work through perhaps some of the sorrow as we have opportunity to move towards hope. That's what the Bible gives us, actually. It gives us this, this, this transforming view of what death can be. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. And then because we're in this relationship series, I want to share with us just a couple thoughts at the end about, about what can we do as people of faith as we walk alongside people in their, in their last end of life, whether that's a parent or a grandparent, a spouse, or someone else that we know who's going through maybe some sort of tragic sickness or circumstance. But let's start with this idea of what is death. What is death? Well, death is a separation. That's a definition that I read. Someone wrote that. Death is a separation. I thought that was really interesting. Because it, that, that, that's what happens when we think about death. On one hand, it's a separation in a physical sense. 
a person from their body. At the end of a life that we live, we believe that, especially from the Christian worldview, that a person continues, even though their physical heart and brain might have stopped going on. In a spiritual sense, then, death is, is something more. It's a separation from the one who created us, from the God of the universe. That's what we talk about when we, when we read the Bible and we often hear about death. Death has all sorts of different separations that it leaves, and that's often what leads us to these places of sorrow. It's a separation of relationship with one another. That's why people carry that weight with them when they lose a loved one. Now, as we read about death, as I said in Scripture, it sort of paints us this picture all along the way about what death really is. And it starts right in the beginning of the Christian Scriptures, and it's framed again right at the end. And so today what I want us to do is we're going to look at the beginning of what death is, we're going to look at the end of what death is, and then we're going to look at a little bit in between that sort of frames our concept of death as separation. And to first understand where this separation comes from, we have to go to the very beginning where we see that the introduction of death in our world was a consequence. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Genesis uh, chapter 2 and 3, and and you can just stay there with me. Um, I'm not going to read through all the verses, but I want you to just be able to, to sort of contextualize what we're talking about. Right at the beginning of the world, God put a plan into place where he had created something beautiful, and he created beautiful, wonderful people to live within it. And it was in the place that we often refer to as the Garden of Eden, where God would walk alongside of these people. And he would walk with them, and they would get to know him, and he knew them in a deep and and special way. And he said, life is wonderful. And to keep this, all that we have to do is have a relationship, and you need to not do one thing. See that tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to eat of that tree. I want you to just trust in me. In my sense of of what knowing good is really all about. But of course, Adam and Eve decided to uh, not take God up (laughs) on what he had offered them. They chose to be, uh, allow the deception that they experienced to lead them towards taking the fruit off that tree and welcoming in death. We see that what happens right after Adam and Eve eat of that fruit is that death comes into the world. Death comes, and with it comes three separations. Three separations that will forever mark the history of of humanity until one day Jesus returns. The first thing is a separation from innocence and purity. There's sort of this moral death that occurs when Adam and Eve choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? They they choose to go away from what God wants. They choose to separate themselves from what God has designed to be good for them. And in doing so, uh, we see that there's tragic consequence. It says... 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, they made coverings for themselves, and then when the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord, they hid from him. And that's the second separation that begins to happen from them. They begin to be separated from God. Now, they don't really escape God's sight. God knows where they are. God ends up calling out to them and and seeing them. But there becomes this disconnect, this wedge that's driven in between them and God. It's in this disobedience that they begin to experience a spiritual decay. That's where the sorrow comes in. It's where the hurt, the pain the things that should never have been begin to get into their soul. That weightiness we all feel comes in because of a separation between us and the only one who is perfect, good, loving, gracious, and merciful. The Apostle Paul later will write about this, and he says the wages of sin, the wages of the disobedience, of the moral failing will lead us to death. But when he's talking about that death, he's not just talking about the death of our morals, he's talking about the separation of God. He'll go on later and say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, and that's going to be the focus of our time of communion together today. But, but this is where we experience separation. The third separation then, of course, becomes our physical death. It's because of our disobedience of God that our bodies began to struggle and fail. In God's original design, we were meant to keep on ticking. We're supposed to be like the perfect picture of the Energizer bunny who just keeps going and going and going. We see that and we know that because we see what eventually God will write, and we'll come to this in a bit, in in Revelation, that we are meant to exist in perpetuity for an eternity with him in perfection. And so this is what God designed, but when Adam and Eve chose to separate themselves from God and his design, in comes the brokenness of our body. And so all of us, for the rest of our lives, for the rest of history from Adam and Eve, will live up until a point that our body is totally broke. That'll look different for each and every single one of us, right? We know people who pass away from different deaths and diseases to people who have tragic accidents. There's natural disasters. There's all sorts of things that bring us to the end of our life. But because of the disobedience of God, in comes this failing and this separation from our physical body. And that's really, I think, these different separations, what causes the weight of death in our life. When we think about the tragedy of life and death, we often go, oh, someone was gone too soon. I wish I had them a little longer. Oh, there was so much promise and hope. Oh, the life that they wish they lived that they never got to hold. That thing that they, 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 they wanted to, to, to bring back and to fix just never got to be accomplished. Oh, there was so much sorrow within death. And it's because things that were meant to be perfect and pure and endure have been broken. And whether or not we consciously think about it, our spirit knows that there's something wrong with this. Now the good news of the Bible and the good news that we see and that we've been singing about is the fact that there is a possibility 
for an end to that sorrow. There's a possibility for all of us to have that rectified, maybe not the physical portion, but the rest, or the physical portion, at least in, in the, the temporary, won't end. When Paul says the wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is the separation from your body, the separation from your innocence and your purity, the separation from you and the one who loves you. When he says that, he says that this is a massive consequence, but God has given a good gift. He sent his son Jesus to live and to repair the things that need to be done so that we would no longer have to live in sorrow. Though death comes and goes for us all, there's an opportunity for having reconciliation and a movement past all of those sorrows in life with Jesus. You know, I grew up in a church tradition where I, I, don't, I don't know if we talked about death a whole lot, but every time I can think of remembering back about how we talked about death, it was always uh, this sense of pain and sorrow. It was always the, 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 this heavy reflection. I think that's important because part of that is what can uh, be used by God uh, to bring us to faith in him. But the shame of it, I think, is this. That we only listen to part of the story that God wrote. Because for followers of Jesus, death isn't just a consequence. It's a trade-up. There's actually an upgrade for followers of Jesus that comes when we experience death. A physical death where our body stops to work for followers of Jesus leads to something new. And for that, I want us to turn to Revelation chapter 21. Let's go right to the end of your Bible. This is where I want you to just stop and think for a moment to hear how that sorrow can be rewrote. How our narrative and our understanding of death can be changed and seen instead of something heavy as something beautiful. This is a vision that John sees about the end of life for people. After Jesus has returned, after the dead have physically been resurrected back to life, he says this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be the God. And then he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things will have passed away. He who was seated on the throne says, look, I am making everything new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be, my, be their God, and they will be my children. 
The reason why death is an upgrade for us as followers of Jesus has many different facets that we read about here in Revelation chapter 1. One of the first and I think most immediate sort of responses for us, particularly as we get older, is the excitement of the fact that there is actually a new body for our soul to inhabit. You know, in this life we have pain, we have suffering, we have sadness, and, 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 and that comes in all sorts of ways with these physical bodies that are decaying. We have blemishes that we don't particularly appreciate. We have bruises that grow and hurt. We get stiff necks and creaky knees. We experience asthma and diabetes. We have heart problems and liver and kidney failure. We have brain injuries and all sorts of other problems. And as we live with this decay, we struggle. But there's this beautiful thing that God decides to do. He says, if you choose to to walk with me through your failing on this earth, I'm going to give you a promise that one day I'm going to resurrect your body blemish-free, without problem, without creaky knees, without the asthma or the diabetes, and I'm going to allow you to walk with me, to run with me, to dance with me, to sing with me, to play with me for the rest of eternity. And by the way, there's going to be no more sorrow. There's going to be no more need to be sad. There's no, going to be no more need to have that weight that lingers with you, that brings your shoulders down, that makes your heart feel heavy. It's all going to be gone. You're going to be reunited with me. And you'll see for the first time the fullness of who I am and the fullness of who you were meant to be without the death that came from sin. And that gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of excitement. I, 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 just, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, when we go out these doors on a Sunday morning, especially when it's a nice Sunday morning, like, just look at, like, Mount Baker. And look at the trees and the mountains that surround us. Consider all the creation that there is and how beautiful it is. And God says, that's nothing. Wait till the new creation comes. What you see is tainted by the cause of sin and death and decay in the world. So even the most beautiful day, the most spectacular sunrise with Mount Baker in view will pale in comparison to what you will get to see me do. This is a promise that God has for us. And he goes beyond that and he actually says, not, not only will you be physically brought in in a, in, in, a, in a healthy way, in a perfect way, in a way that will allow you to run and go and enjoy and dance and sing, but you will also get to be with me. All through your life, you will live with this tainted view of who God is. Even if you are the most expert scholar of scripture and you spend countless hours studying God's word and allowing him to reveal himself to you as good and beautiful, you'll never fully understand it because your mind's been twisted, your heart's been turned, 
and the sin that you have been brought is like a film that's been rubbed upon your glasses. But Jesus says, but when you come into my presence, I'll wipe the film away. We'll throw away those glasses because you won't need them anymore and you will get to experience all of who I am. That really, really excites me. Because, you know, I think God's already pretty incredible. And if I only have a tiny glimpse of who he is, and there's this invitation into something far beyond I, what I could ever know, I get pretty excited about that. I get excited about the fact, I, 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 I think I've shared this before, this past summer someone, someone gave me this thought uh, at a camp that I was at. And uh, they'd given me this thought that, you know, oftentimes we, we think of heaven as being boring. You know, and I, I've always thought about, about heaven as a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. You know, that's how I picture heaven growing up. And I was like, that seems boring. Like, I like cream cheese on bagels. But I really don't want to sit in heaven with a bunch of angels sitting in toga robes and, you know, playing their harps. Like, that just, that seems miserable. But he said to me, he said, wouldn't it be so wonderful to know that God is far beyond anything that we're capable of? So that even when we're in heaven, as he continues to create and to paint and to show us how wonderful he is, that we will never stop marveling at experiencing something new. I really like that. My little ADHD brain loves to see things new. It loves to have new information. It loves to see things fresh and new. And there's this promise that we will get that for eternity. And it's not going to be a lecture in a boring classroom by a teacher who doesn't really care. It's going to be a life lived in a perfect place, in a reformed body, with the one who wrote it all. What a gift. What a gift that we have to be given that we will one day expire upon this earth to experience something that's so much better. I think we need to think about that a little bit more often. Because when we come to the experience of knowing the loss of, of, of the love of someone in our life, their presence in, in, in the world that we go, it's painful. But it's a lot less painful. And the story continues to grow, we know, if they're followers of Jesus. And that's actually a gift. That's actually a gift for us to step into as we walk alongside someone who knows the person in the presence of Jesus. We actually get to celebrate the end of a life, even though it's still hard. It's not to minimize the sorrow, but there's an invitation into something deeper. I want us to focus on that a little bit more. So that leads me to this question, then, then, then how do we walk through this life when people will begin to die? How do we walk alongside someone who, who is dying? How do we treat ourselves in light of this story that God will continue to write? 
Well, I think in, in, in that regard, it's perhaps something that we need to, to grow in, and it should be an encouragement for us to live the Christian life in a new way. You know, when I was trained as a paramedic, one of the first things they drill into your head, and they, they do this for all sorts of people, for, for firefighters, for nurses, for doctors, they, they teach you that if you're going to care for others, you need to first care for yourself. And one of the first things that they drill into you painfully is to wear something called your PPE, your personal protective equipment. And they'll actually make you run drills where you'll like go in without it and then suddenly they're like, oh, by the way, you just walked into something and now you're sick and you're going to die from it. And you go, oh, shoot, right, I, I need to put on something myself. I need to make sure I'm wearing my gloves and goggles. I need to make sure that my mask is on. I need to make sure that before I enter into a scene of a tragedy or before I go into a patient's room, I need to make sure that it's safe. I need to make sure that I'm protected because if I get hurt, I'm not much help to anybody else. I'm not going to actually be able to care for their needs in the way that they need right now. People need us at our best, especially when times for them are worst. In this way, I think one of the most important things we can do is to take care of ourselves, physically, mentally, emotionally, but especially spiritually. A couple weeks ago, I asked a friend of mine who'd recently lost his wife what the best piece of advice he could give to someone who's walking alongside someone as they die. And the advice he gave me was this. He said, start with your walk with Jesus and stay there for a long while, as long as it takes. He walked alongside of his wife towards her death in this life and he began to realize how real God was in his life when he drew near. He realized the depth of his relationship with Jesus impacted every day when he'd go visit her in the hospital, when he'd talk to his kids and his grandkids. Walking alongside someone in death or living our life in light of death is an invitation not just to love others, but to be loved by God as well. It's an invitation for God to meet our deepest needs and begin to allow the seeds that will one day come to fruition in life after death to come and become a greater part of our life here on this earth. Our salvation, the good news of our hope in Jesus and our following him doesn't actually just start one day when we're in heaven. It starts here and now as we walk and grow, even as we approach death. I think when we think about death, it, it invites, and walking alongside somebody in it, it, it invites us into something more deep when we hear the words of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus experienced life and death. 
Remember, not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he experienced the loss of one of his best friends. Right? Jesus walked alongside Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and when Lazarus died, he wept. Jesus knew what it was to lose a best friend to death. But he never lost hope. We saw that he saw what God could do in eternal in resurrection, and he, he, he performed a miracle which allowed us to see in part what would one day become truth and reality for all of those who would come to him in relationship. That we would experience life after death. And that's the story he wants to invite us into. That's the experience that he lived, that he offers you to come into, to grow from his wisdom and his knowledge and his grace and his insight into things that you and I can't even possibly know on our own. The invitation of the pain is to allow God to speak greater to us. C.S. Lewis actually writes, he says, pain insists upon in being intended to. And remember that God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks to us in our consciousness, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse us in a deaf world. If you ever find yourself in a place where you're, you're pained by the death of someone else or the potential of someone else dying, I encourage you to view it as an opportunity to hear from God. It's like his megaphone. His megaphone just yell into your life, I love you. I know. I have more story for you. If you'd come to me, if you'd take on my yoke, if you'd allow me to ease your burden here on this earth, I will give you an even lighter yoke when you come home. And as we walk alongside people who are maybe closer and closer to going to that home, I would encourage you to remind them of that most important thing in their life. It's really hard to do, to keep someone fixated on, on who God is when they're in pain and when they're suffering, but it's amazing what it can do. A few months ago, I got to visit a friend in the hospital, and uh, he was nonverbal, and he was struggling with being aware and present and the pain that was going through his body. But what was amazing was that if those of us in the room would read our Bible or we would pray, the spirit that God had given him would actually come up to the surface. We were actually able to see a tangible difference in his life, even though his body was failing, because he knew his spirit knew that there was something deeper, that there was something greater, that there was something more that God had in store. That was beautiful. And so I encourage you, you have no idea. Even if someone is, is nonverbal, even if someone is on life support, you never know what God can do because God speaks beyond the body. He speaks into our very souls. And if you're walking alongside someone who doesn't know Jesus, you got to let them know. I mean, sometimes we, we, we just worry, right? We, we worry about sharing our faith 
we worry about the reaction someone may have, right? Especially when we talk about things like death as a consequence. That we're all in need of a savior because we've rebelled against God. We, 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 we hesitate to share that at the best of times, but in the worst situation, it might be what's needed most. And it's not ever meant to be as a hospital bedside visit or a, 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 a moment in the hospice. It's not meant to be something that beats them down but it's meant to be something that provides them hope. It's meant to be something that says, you know why, it doesn't matter if you missed it all along this road. Jesus is here now. He is present. And it's amazing. I I know stories of people in my own family who have come to faith in the end of their rope, at the end of their road, and we get to say, man, Jesus, are you beautiful. Man, do they get the great privilege of seeing them first, even though they maybe came to them a little bit after us. There's an invitation into something beautiful in death, and so I hope we can remember that. And that can mark our hearts and our lives as we walk along this road. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate death in communion. We're going to actually celebrate That though there's the pain and sorrow that comes with death, there was a death that had the power to rectify that whole situation and bring our world into something new. And while we haven't seen it, it will come to be. We're going to celebrate the breaking of Jesus' body, the pouring of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I encourage you today to come to communion with a heart, yes, that, that carries the weight of the fact that our, our world has separation and brokenness because of our sin and, and feel that sorrow, but also feel the celebration that we have that Jesus rewrote what would come next. We live in this tension, the, the grief of our sin and the celebration of the death of Jesus. Recognize that your sin was held to the cross as his body broke. But as he breathed his last breath, he also declared victory over the story that you wrote. Recognize that he finished what none of us could have accomplished in our own death and that he invites us into a new life with him if we would choose to follow him, if we would choose to live our life followed upon his road to experience all that he would bring. So over the next few moments, as I pray, where our band's going to come up, our communion servers are going to head to their tables. If you can't come to one of the tables, put up your hand. Just, just take the invitation to come, receive the bread and the cup, and then head back to your seat. Reflect on that weight of, of the good and the bad of death, and then we'll take part in celebrating Jesus' death together. First, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and Lord God, that you, as I said many times, that you rewrote our story. Jesus, that you came in, and even though Adam and Eve first sinned, and we continue to do it down through history as the people that you have made, that you continue to forgive us through the cross. Jesus, we thank you that you suffered so so violently, so painfully, so that we could have hope, so that for us, life and death wouldn't be the good part and then the part where we end and go into the ground or get turned to ashes. But Lord God, that we could have life and hopefully live it to the full, but then experience death so that we can be 
experience the trade-up that comes from knowing you. That we could experience life even more beautiful. Those that we can experience the fullness of your presence so that we can experience every good thing that you want to create and do in our lives. Lord God, will we not be a people of sorrow? Would we be a people of great joy? Lord God, would we not look to the cross as an instrument of torture, but will we look at it as something wonderful? God, will we not see our own frailty as as something that that we mourn because it's going to end here, but would it give us this excitement for what you will continue to do? And so, Lord God, as we come to this table, we ask that you would just speak to us once again through the symbols of your body being broken, your blood poured out. And we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.